So, um, anything anything cool happened on uh, on Raw this week? Well, so Triple H actually had a a cool surprise for us. He they announced prior to the show that a former world champion was going to show up, and I mean, there were just so many options. I, I couldn't imagine what they were going to pick, and lo and behold, Jinder Mahal came back. At, you know. And cut a, that was a, a, an amazing, amazing promo. What an, what a treat to see Jinder Mahal. I know we're kind of being treat. sarcastic, but honestly, that I fucking I was so I was laughing my ass off. I was like, this is fucking hilarious. I I actually think, despite the fact that Jinder Mahal's not that great in the ring, he really is a great wrestling character, and he gets a lot of heat. And it's really f- like when he pisses, wait, him pissing people off is funny. It is funny. He does do a good job in his role in the company, and this was really, really funny for them to do this. It was either, you know, to my mind, when it first started, it was either this is an epic amount of trolling or this is an amazing, you know, setting to to do what they ultimately ended up doing. Um, but, like, before we get to what ends up happening, you know, Andrew, you and I were talking about the fact that, like, I like this gimmick for gender. If he wants to do the going forward, if he wants to do this whole anti-American because America's falling apart and I, and I'm a unifier kind of thing. Like I think that's a fucking cool gimmick for him to, to run with. Did, did he use the word? Cause the unifier is amazing. If that's a buzzword that yeah, he actually said him just being like Vivek Ramaswamy is a great character for him. He should just do more of that. And I don't want to spoil. Obviously, everybody knows The Rock is the real. He, he comes oh, out after that. Where was our spoiler alert? There's. It doesn't need to be one. If you you shouldn't be listening to a wrestling podcast if you haven't watched Raw. Uh, but I love that during the promo, Rock points out how fucking Jack Gender is. <laughs> like he does make a comment about it. Yeah, it was really good shit. It's such good shit. Yeah, Andrew, it's funny seeing Jinder Mahal in the ring with The Rock because you realize just how much Jinder Mahal looks the part of like a WWE champion. It's like uh, this guy belongs here. Yeah, I mean, him being in like the Miz's role is way more interesting than the Miz has been in like five years. So that's the thing about like you could shit on Vince McMahon for how goddamn insane it was to put the title on Jinder. He did look the part. I mean, he really, really did. We were, first of all, we were all cheering for gender at WrestleMania that year because of the whole fucking, uh, what fucking Mojo Raleigh thing. We were like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if they just like let like gender Mahal win the, don't you remember that? The battle Royal, the Andre. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gender was the last guy that they were doing the whole Gronk fucking gimmick with. And we were like, oh, wouldn't it just be fun if gender won? And we kept making these jokes about them hindering gender. And then they put the title on them a month later. <laughs> we well, were all was, ecstatic at first. Yeah, because it was shocking. It was legitimately shocking because none of us expected it. And then it, we all were like, oh, he'll drop it back in a month. Dude held it for like eight months. So if they had just put the title on Nakamura when they did the SummerSlam match, I think all of us would look back on the gender thing as much better, but the fact that it dragged on too long. 
we don't need to, to talk too much about gender, but I think he doesn't get enough credit for he he should not have been in that spot. And he honestly did a pretty good job when he had it. It was yeah. a fun time. It was a really goofy little thing that they did. We don't want to hinder gender here at Such Good Shit. Yeah, we will um, never hear us talk bad about Jinder Mahal on this podcast. Also, I got to do the intro real fast. Uh, this is Such Good Shit, a wrestling podcast where the three of us, who are brothers, get together and talk about all the things that make professional wrestling such good shit. And this week, that was The Rock making his return to Raw. Um, I, it was good. It was cool. It's always cool seeing The Rock, but. I have some concerns. Um, age has started to catch up to him. And it was noticeable, um, especially once he started to get physical with gender and then was talking afterwards. The Even though he's nice and built and jacked for movies, his wrestling cardio isn't there anymore. And... Um, <sighs> It gave me a little bit of a pause. If we're going to have him have a main event level match. Well, we saw him have like, a main event can match he 10 handle years that? ago. And he couldn't handle well, it. I'm sure you can. When you're The Rock and you have the time that The Rock has, I can't imagine he can't get his cardio in order in about four months. We we saw it already. We, we saw this 10 years ago against Cena. He got blown. He blew up very early in the match and then got hurt. That's I mean, that's true. I, but you think that he would learn from that. And as much as look, I love The Rock and kids these days, damn it, don't understand how fucking good he was. We when we talked about our top 10 wrestlers, there was a lot of pushback of putting The Rock high up. It's like, no, The Rock is borderline Mount Rushmore. But his in-ring work was never great. It's larger than life character, right? His punches always looked like shit. A lot of the stuff he did never looked believable um so very rubbery is the yeah. best way i could explain he it. looks like he's play fighting and i think it looks even worse now because he's so much bigger than he ever was when he was wrestling day to day so his his in-ring style doesn't match his big ass muscles matt and so i wonder how much of it is him losing a step and how much of it is he's just so big and carrying around so much weight and then doing his cartoon punches, it creates right. like a mismatch. Well, and wrestling is in a different place than it was 30 years ago. Um, like, I don't want to say it's more realistic now, because during the Attitude Era, things were kind of realistic. They were gritty, but we're more athletic nowadays. And also... The styles of the guys that are at the top of the card now are just different than the way things were in the Attitude Era. And Rock hasn't been around to change with the time. So, like, Edge is a great example, right? Edge was there during the Attitude Era, and then he transitioned into what became Ruthless Aggression, and then transitioned into the modern era. And he's been just fine, because he's he's changed his his style a little bit as he goes. Rock, since Rock hasn't been around full time since 2003, 2004, uh, he's, he hasn't modified his style at all. And I think that's a big mistake. I mean, look, getting the Rock in any kind of match is going to be such a treat. 
Um, and as we saw when he fought Hogan, the ring work is kind of second to the electricity that he brings into any match he's in. Um, and then like what we saw with Austin and KO a few years ago, you don't have to do much physically to leave your mark. Um, so I, I, it's interesting to hear you guys kind of concerned because I'm very excited. Uh, to me, yeah, this I, is the best thing that could have happened short of Austin coming back. So no, I think if anybody can make this work, it's going to be Roman and the way that they've done mm-hmm. these Roman Reigns matches with the sure, sure. A lot of them are really high intensity at times, but Roman plays things very slow, very methodical, very story driven. And I think that'll help protect the rock if he's really going to be in danger of being blown up. Cause really the rock just has to have some moments where he, he shines, does his punches, does his kicks, does the rock bottom? Does yeah, I mean, the, we saw the, Goldberg have a WrestleMania match at like sixty yeah. years old. I I <laughs> think that there's a way that they can do this, and I think they've done this enough times, and even had have had the Rock come back enough times to know exactly how to work with it and make it work right. WWE has has shown that they they're more than capable of doing this now. So when you say doing this, it is the million dollar question. Doing what? What exactly is it that we expect? Bringing bringing back a a legend and making sure that they are booked in a way that you're missing the question, Andrew. What is the? What do we think is going to happen here with the Rock? Do we think it's him and Roman at Mania Forty? Do we think this is just a tease? What does this mean for Roman? So the same people that that reported that the rock was going to be on raw or saying that he's going to be wrestling at elimination chamber. That's not entirely far fetched. I think it's really underselling how fucking important the rock is to the business, but you do have a major stadium in Australia that, that you got to sell out and what one hell of a marquee match. If you want to have something for Roman to do in that big stadium, then fight the rock and then transition into Cody. So from what we're hearing is this possibility that the rock is going to fight Roman at elimination chamber, which I think is, is sort of underselling how fucking important the rock is to the business. However, you do have a major stadium to sell out. And you need a big marquee match for Roman Reigns in a giant stadium. Maybe it makes sense storytelling wise to to do that. And then even if The Rock loses, you can transition into The Rock being involved still at WrestleMania with the Cody match. Although. At this point, do any of us give a fuck about Cody finishing the story or is it just the thing that we've all accepted has to happen? I think you need to understand that these rumors are coming from the people who are worried about Cody not getting to finish his story at WrestleMania. This is prime Sean Ross sap and internet marks getting worked into oblivion. To think that The Rock is going to wrestle maybe his last match, his first match in a decade, not at WrestleMania 40 is ridiculous. There's, there's just no, no way chance. he doesn't main event WrestleMania. Yeah, there's no way he comes back for Australia, which, by the way, the the idea of them, The Rock getting on a flight for 17 hours to go to Australia is 
mind boggling as well. There is no chance that the rock is wrestling in Australia and not at WrestleMania. So here's, here's my thought. No chance. My thought is what if we change up the narrative a bit, have Cody and Roman at elimination chamber, switch the title there. Let Cody finish his goddamn story at elimination chamber. Now you have a title list Roman going into mania where the only thing he has left is his head of the table status. And now that's what's in question is who's the head of the table, the rock or Roman. Now, now the title's not cooking. even involved. Now you're cooking. And then what, what do we do with Cody? Does he fight like Gunter? Cody, def- Cody defends the belt against whoever it should be defended against. I don't know. Which I think works Maybe it's because, because we know, I mean, punk would be great. I think actually, yeah, who knows? I think everything is kind of up in the air. I mean, I know they tease the Rollins thing, and I know people are clamoring for Cody to finish a story, but I think, Matt, you're right. The reality of the situation is belt or no belt, Roman and Rock should go on night two of WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest match you can possibly do right now. So it's why one of the biggest matches you could, have, you could ever do. Yeah. At this point, they've built up Roman to be at a level where, I mean, this is like Hogan and Rock all over again. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. to an even higher degree no. in some ways. I, I'm going to cut you off right there. Hogan <laughs> is the most recognizable wrestler ever until The Rock. Yeah, exactly. So, so if Rock we're talking about is... fame, Roman is not even in the same hemisphere as Hogan or The Rock. Well, hold on now. Is this more of just Rock he, Cena? The Rock, the Rock in this case, this is, is more like Rock dude. Cena for sure, which are still massive. Yeah, but Rock Cena now would be bigger than it was ten years ago. Oh yeah, Rock Cena now is more Rock Hogan. But I mean, Hogan and The Rock. I feel like this gets lost on people as we get further and further from it, and as WWE continues to tell us this is a dream match, this is a dream match. Hogan's fame and like how over he was is hard to compare to anyone um Um, the rock is maybe the most famous person on earth right now yeah exactly so him and hulk hogan the most famous wrestler is the biggest thing he wasn't the most famous person on earth 21 years but the rock was already in movies at that point and hogan was pretty close to that point ish he was as close as any wrestler. Yeah, been I mean, at that point. both of those guys were more over than Roman has ever been at that point. Like, yeah. I don't want to minimize yeah, I would argue, Roman's I would, achievements, but I would argue that The Rock is 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 leagues beyond where Hogan was at that point now. But you're right. I think Roman is the the thing that's holding this down is he's not n- nearly as important as The Rock was in 2001, 2002. So. Roman's not even as important as John Cena was when John Cena fought The Rock. Like, I know in kayfabe, he's more unbeatable, but the reality of the situation is, like, I get that Roman wants to treat himself like he's a movie star, and he's everyone's presuming he's going to go away to Hollywood or whatever, but John Cena's, like, cultural impact at his peak is, like, leagues beyond where Roman is right now, too. Like at the yeah, end I mean, of the day, honest, Roman, Roman is, is just a guy who was booked strong. That's really yeah, what it is. Yeah, Roman Roman like has this part time schedule and is treated like Brock Lesnar, but like he isn't actually 
He's just still a wrestler. Yeah, Andrew Brock Lesnar versus The Rock would actually be a bigger match than Roman. That would be fucking incredible. But I don't think that we can... Brock Lesnar, I think, would kill him. And I'm not saying this to shit on Roman in any way. It's just the reality. Like, if if you're wanting the biggest match you can possibly do, the biggest match is probably Lesnar and The Rock, or The Rock and Punk, or... Yeah, you we know, even Punk and Austin, about, like, like your, your guys are going to be back famous. in the next few few weeks, maybe a month. He'll probably be back by the Rumble. The fuck is Brock going to do at WrestleMania? Maybe Cody again. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, look, Cody's got to defend his belt against somebody. But I uh, just man, they really <laughs> ran that shit into the I ground. I think it wasn't we're that likely to see. So I'll tell you I, real quick, and I know we'll get into this more as WrestleMania season rolls on, but. There's a few priority points for me for Mania, right? Number one, Cody's fucking story. He's got to either finish it at Elimination Chamber or he's got to finish it at Mania. But, like, Cody's got to have a prominent spot, right? Uh, Punk needs to main event uh, probably night one. I doubt he's going to be main eventing night two. So CM Punk's got a main event. And LA Knight needs a prominent spot. He doesn't necessarily have to be winning the title, but he's got to have a prominent spot. So, if, like for me, those are the big things that need to um, to happen. I think we're on a collision course for LA Knight to be saddled with uh, beating Logan Paul for the U.S. title, which maybe isn't a bad thing. Seth Rollins got the Logan Paul spot and then won a world title. And now is presumably going to be one of the main events of WrestleMania. So that's not the worst thing that you could do with LA Knight. But I, I think that it's beneath the momentum he's got. The problem is, is that now he's buried under CM Punk, The Rock, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins. Randy Orton just came back, arguably more over. It's sadly too many things just happened and you got to do your best to preserve LA Knight and maybe not overexpose him too much. That way, when we get back to him, maybe we have him win the U.S. title and then he's the next Mr. Money in the Bank and that can kind of reheat him up when the dust settles from all this shit going on. So I think the most likely thing to happen if, I mean, WWE always does the most likely thing. They haven't surprised us in north of a decade. Um, what is probably going to happen and the writing's been on the wall for a little bit now is I think they've got a hard on for Roman passing Hogan's record. So I believe Cody's going on ice, Matt, for another six months to a year. I think they do the rock versus Roman. I think you probably get punk versus Roman closer to the time where he would pass Hogan's record. And then once Roman passes Hogan's record and vanquishes the rock and punk, I think then finally you've built him up enough for Cody to get his win. It's the sad reality of where we're at or they'll forget about Cody by that point. But I would be absolutely shocked at this point if the belt comes off Roman prior to WrestleMania or even at WrestleMania. I think we're likely to see Roman versus Rock at 40 and Roman to continue being champ for whenever Hogan's record is September, I think. Yeah, so I think, Alec, I think you're right. Obviously, I don't agree with that. I think that's bad. I don't agree with it either, but I'm just telling you what's going to happen. shouldn't have been champion to this point, period. 
literally every single thing Roman has done so far could exist without the title, and it would have still mattered just as much without the title. And you could have put the title on Cody and had him doing other stuff. I mean, think about it. Give me, give me one thing Roman did that required the championship at this point since WrestleMania. He's only I mean, defended it like twice. Yeah, he doesn't need the belt, but mm. the reality is we don't need any of this shit. It's just <laughs> that's fun true. to watch. So <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, do we have any final thoughts before we get into our our main topic tonight? I think this is going to be probably one of the better Road to WrestleManias, just based on how many options we have at this point. So. Pretty excited. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our main subject for the night. We're going to be talking about the new film that just came out, The Iron Claw, about the Von Erichs family. So uh, before we get into this, this is going to be a spoiler conversation. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, go ahead and turn the podcast off now. Uh, Go see the movie. Come back. We're going to be getting into it. I'm sure we're going to spoil a bunch. You probably already know the story, but... There are beats that are different in the movie, and we're probably going to spoil that, so you're not going to want to know it. Um, This is your opportunity to do that now, before the discussion starts. Five, four... Seriously? I I don't know, dude. I just want to make sure people have enough time. I know what it's like when you're... like, If I'm listening to a podcast and I'm making dinner... My hands are just like covered in I, onions and shit. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I gotta fucking clean up and get to my phone. Yeah, look, you gotta make sure there's a, 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 a enough time to do that. Matt, everyone's been there where their hands are covered in onions. Do you guys don't listen to podcasts when you cook dinner? Do you guys cook food? Yeah, I've just never had. Made- I've never had my hands covered in onions, though. Well, we to made be fair, tacos tonight, so like, yeah, I did cook dinner. You guys gave me no choice but to do a countdown because you weren't giving me any banter for us to to transition into this conversation before we start spoiling the movie. We're halfway through the show. Why do we need to banter again? Well, just to make sure there's a little bit of a buffer now that we've told everybody we're going to spoil this movie. Well, now we have sufficiently given them like yeah, thirty you, seconds. You guys yeah. have had plenty so, of time. We're going to get into nineteen eighty four, deep in the heart of Texas. Actually, the movie starts in 79, Alec. Well, I mean, it starts even earlier than that, too. God Because there is the opening scene takes place. It it, it introduces us to Fritz von Erich. um, Right before, like, this is, it's all in black and white. Uh, It's presumably Kevin and David. They don't say who the kids are, I don't think, that are in that scene with them. But it's only two of the kids are born at this point, as when Fritz gets the Cadillac. There's not much there, but it kind of introduces us to the family and gives us an overview of the attitude that Fritz has towards the business and stuff like that. There's an interesting point here in this scene, which is that if you notice, the mom says, like, what's that attached to our house? And the Von Erichs actually did live in a trailer. And not just the Von Erichs, it was pretty common for wrestlers in this era to have trailers, right? Because then if you go move to another territory you don't need to buy and sell a house you just haul your house and you're good to go so i thought that was a nice touch that they like threw that into the movie yeah so we fast forward after this scene to 1979 um kevin von eric's already the texas nwa heavyweight champion um his uh father owns wccw 
we get pretty much introduced to everybody early on, all of the the siblings. Uh, now, keep in mind in this movie, Chris is non-existent. They keep him out of it. I'm just kind of kind of mention that early. So we meet Mike. We hear about Carrie, and we meet uh, David. Now, real quick to touch on the whole Mike Chris thing, they basically gave all of Chris's attributes to Mike. Um, so from what I can gather from documentaries that I've seen and, and footage that I've seen, the Mike that's presented in the movie was kind of a mixture of both of them. Um, like they just sort of combine them into one character. And I understand why they did that from a narrative perspective, because to tell the same Essentially what happens to Mike also happens to Chris. And so to tell that same story twice in the movie would be kind of a bit much, I guess. But I do feel like it's kind of crappy to the Von Eric legacy that Chris is just discarded. Yeah, I would have it's preferred like he's a they... human being. So it is kind of fucked. Like, I understand what they're trying to do, but like, this is a mm-hmm. person who died so it would be way different if they if this movie was based on the von erics but everybody was like it wasn't the von erics in the movie and it wasn't rick flair and it wasn't wccw you know what i mean it's like oh this is based on the same story but it's a completely different family then you can kind of make those changes but when you're portraying this as the real life story of the von erics you're completely leaving out a whole person uh totally makes sense why they did it though uh, once you once we get into the the second half of this movie, basically gave me chest pain for like a full hour. There, I don't know that there would have been room to to show the whole tragedy with Chris and every story beat that happens to Chris that would have even made it into this film inevitably happens to somebody else. So it's fine, but I wish that they would have found a way to just mention it, even if it was in a blurb at the end, like, hey, just, you know, this is the real Von Erichs family. Here's what happened to everybody. I know that would have been a little weird, but at least let's not play revisionist history entirely and pretend like he never existed. That felt a little weird. Well, and what per, so I don't know if it's Carrie, Carrie's perspective in this scene or if it's Kevin but the scene where all the brothers are in heaven, basically meeting up with each other to have the younger brother that died before half of them were born, but then leave out like an entire person who wrestled and was his dream to wrestle and killed himself is kind of wild. But. Well, I think there's a subtext here, though, about the curse that involves Jack Jr. And it also informs Fritz's attitude throughout the whole movie. Sure, is, I'm just saying that he had more screen time than a yeah, person yeah. who like lived into their twenties, but you know. Okay. Okay, so if we can go ahead and just start going through the plot summary here and then kind of pause as we go. We've done this before in other other episodes of this show, if you guys want to go back and look. Uh, so uh, David makes his wrestling debut with Kevin in a tag team match against Bruiser Brody and Gino Hernandez. This is where uh, Kevin meets and starts a relationship with Pam. She's going to be a, a major player in the film. Um, I think that it was a, a good choice to touch on this. It's really important. And when you go back and you watch interviews with Kevin now, I mean, he credits 
Pam and his children as the reason why he didn't end up like everybody else in the family. And that was the big thing for him. So it was really important, I think, to include that in here. I think it's really important to the story, obviously. Um, there are <laughs> things like for Carrie, they don't really touch on the fact that he had children and that he was married. And I guess it's just because it really, A, how do you cram that in? And B, it didn't necessarily need to be said to get into I, his whole thing. So I agree and I disagree. It, a lot of my opinions on this movie is like i fully get it from a movie making perspective but like one of the issues i had was because you leave out carrie's marriage you leave out carrie's children it made carrie feel like at the time at the end of the movie when he kills himself that he's only like 24 25 years old and he was like 34 it it just felt like they made it seem like he was a young kid still who who just started to break into superstardom. And it's like, no, he was a big star for like 10 yeah. years. Carrie was sort of a sub player in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And he was by far the biggest star of the three. Now there's a reason for that, right? Because David died and whatnot. Right. But- and I, and I get it. The, the main character of the movie, it's Kevin's movie. Right. It's about Kevin and Kevin dealing with losing his family members. But you. If they would have spent five more minutes over the course of the movie, fleshing out Carrie's background just a little bit, I think it would have gone a long way. Yeah, it's like if we're going to have a whole square dancing scene, I don't know why they can't just mention Carrie's children. Um I think this is a good time to talk about the fact, too, that Zac Efron should have been Carrie. And Matt, to your point, the reason he's not is because it's Kevin's movie, right? And he's the biggest star. So but it's seeing him hit the ring for the first time in this scene. The the size of him is insane. Like, I could not believe his body looks so similar to Carrie's. Yeah, and and his face, I never realized that Zac Efron's face was so square. But Well, that's a recent uh, occurrence. (laughs) But he looks he looks so much more like Carrie than Jeremy Allen White, who played Carrie. And 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 don't get me wrong, Jeremy Allen White was fantastic in the movie. He was great. He could have been Kevin. Yeah, I disagree with you guys entirely. I feel like I've seen so much supplemental material of the movie. And then these guys side by side at this point to feel like Jeremy Allen white actually has Carrie's face much more than, than Zach does. In fact, I think Zach really does have Kevin's face, but the size thing really takes me that that is a a huge thing. Cause, cause Kevin was never that big. Yeah, it's Carrie's defining thing is that he's got the best physique. That's why he goes to WWE over Kevin. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why he gets the NWA title. It, that that it, it's an completely an important comes down to the fact that Zac Efron was able to pull off this thing. I mean, I've already seen a lot of interviews with Jeremy Allen White where he, you know, he did the work, but he was like, "Oh, I could not c- compete with Zac at all in my attempt to get in shape for this." And so it's just kind of circumstantial, unfortunately. No, I get it. It's just like, could we have given him lifts in his boots? Or it, It's Zac Efron being taller and bigger 
throws me off. And I'm sure to people that is something familiar, that movie magic could have easily resolved. Yeah. Because it, it's an important part of this, which is, you know, Kevin is the best athlete of the bunch. Um, and I think they even say it in the movie, right? Um, but he just didn't have the look that Carrie had, right? And then David was the, the best worker. And I think they get into that probably in the next scene, right, Andrew? Or am I skipping ahead? Um, Where David kind of, t- you know, he's making fun of the promo. He's kind of naturally better on the mic. I think mm-hmm. he, he cuts Zach off at one point. Yeah, they don't touch on it in this wiki, but I do remember the scene that you're talking about. Um, that that does play a role throughout the movie. They, I feel like, so right now we're nitpicking the little things, but I think we all agree this movie is spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I mean, we're looking at it from a wrestling historical perspective because we're a wrestling podcast, right? So I think if mm-hmm. this was our movie podcast stream, it might be a little different. But yeah, you don't have to worry about the facts as much. In that. I, I just think it's important to call out just kind of who each guy was in the ring because Carrie and I could be wrong here. I don't think he was ever in line to win the NWA championship. It was always David. Um, yeah, David Carrie was the one being groomed from the get go. Mm-hmm. Carrie only stepped in after David's passing. Yeah, you, you meant Kevin, Kevin was right. Yeah, I met Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the other thing too, and I don't remember which scene exactly they say this, but Fritz is like, "We're gonna get you on the road and get you more experience to David," and that is not what happened. And this is a nitpick, but I think it's very important for the movie because David couldn't was getting into it with Fritz. And Fritz did not want him to go to another territory. And David actually went to some other territories. And that's kind of how he got so good. But it would have spoke more to how controlling Fritz was over the boys. Um, Because there was a there was a lot of tension around like money and how Fritz was controlling the kids. And David was the one who was sort of taking more of the initiative for himself. And so they kind of misrepresent that here and i don't really know why because i think it plays into the story in a big way but it felt like as much as they portrayed fritz in a bad light throughout the movie which it was almost unfairly bad like they made him seem evil which is i okay he was i almost feel like they were too soft on him and i feel like this was one of those things where to respect Kevin, since Kevin is still alive, obviously, they I read an interview where they talked about the fact that Kevin basically had, you know, one thing that was important to him about this movie when he gave his blessing for them to make it, which is basically me and my brothers loved each other. Please make sure that it shows that, which it did. But I feel like there's an undertone also of if you listen to any interview Kevin does about his father to this day, he still reveres the man despite all the things that happened, despite all the negative things that occurred as a direct result of Fritz and his actions. He still reveres him. And I feel like the filmmakers picked up on that and they didn't want to completely sully Fritz for Kevin's benefit you know sure 
But at the same time, there's no reason to make it seem like David was the favorite child and what didn't have. Like I was saying earlier, David had his moments where he got on the outs with Fritz and that's that's how he went on to. I don't remember which. I think he went to Florida. He went to one of the southern territories and kind of made his own path a little bit. And maybe that's part of why the NWA was more comfortable with him. There's a lot of interesting, I don't know, this might be a different podcast, but there's a lot of interesting subtext between Fritz feuding with the NWA and Fritz's relationship with Vince and kind of how all those three work together. Um, You know, Vince for years was trying to buy uh, WCCW. Um, and then I think at one point when he had made the offer, Fritz wanted to have it like a merger of equals. And obviously that <laughs> was never going to happen, but it's just interesting to he- the relationship Vince had with Fritz and those companies working together. And I mean, you see it. I mean, he gave Carrie a job when he really couldn't work anymore. So, and gave him the IC title. So I, I think there's some interesting subtext there. From the wrestling side. So we'll get a uh, back into the plot here. We'll kind of speed along because the, the first like 30 to 45 minutes of this film are, are fairly fun and you kind of just get to know people. There's definitely some intense scenes where sowing seeds with Fritz's intensity and and the kind of the issues that he's going to create later on. But for the most part, there's a lot of really fun stuff here. So um like the scene where right before we meet Pam, there's that opening where we see the sportatorium for the first time. And it's, it feels like a scene very reminiscent of like dazed and confused and how that portrayed the seventies. And it just felt very nostalgic that, that opening. I remember I was with Alec in the theater and both of us were like, God damn, look at that. What a fucking treat is to see this part of the film. I, that was one of my favorite scenes was seeing this when I never got to see the sportatorium, but I've seen plenty of videos and pictures of it and they knocked it out of the park. Like, I don't know how they did it. I don't know if it was CG or, or, or an actual set that they, I don't know how, how they did that, but the scene of walking up into it and going in was so fucking spot on. And it was, that blew my mind. It's so cool to see stuff like that portrayed. Like, I, I couldn't imagine if they ever... I know that there's been speculation about a Hulk Hogan or, like, a Vince McMahon biopic at some point. If they ever recreated, you know, a major, like, WrestleMania set for a movie, how that would look. Um, this is sort of in that vein where you're just seeing, like, a historic wrestling venue that just doesn't exist anymore, like, come back to life again. It's very cool. Um, and on that topic, before we move mm-hmm. on, um, one of the things I loved about the movie was the reverence it had for the business and for the sport. It takes it seriously. It never talks down to the audience. It also doesn't talk down about wrestling. It never makes it feel less than or inferior, right? It treats it with the level of respect and dignity that it should have. Um, so as a wrestling fan, I appreciated the fact that the matches when we got to see bits of matches that it was done the right way. And it didn't feel like, like, you know, when you watch, uh, 
more of this happens on TV shows when it's like, oh, the characters are going down to the wrestling ring, right? And, you know, there's some bullshit stuff going on, and it's obviously <sighs> making fun of wrestling or at least having fun with it. This didn't do it. This presented it as 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 real a thing as it could be and with all the respect that it should have. So I really appreciated uh, that aspect of it. Yeah, and so the next uh, part of this movie as we go through the plot is is where um, Kevin goes on a date with Pam and they're in a diner and he sort of explains to her the point of the business and why championships matter. And I felt like that was that was a really cool thing to the way that they they communicated is really interesting. And I think it makes a very valid point. Uh, and then he also this is where he introduces the concept of the curse. And this is where Jack Jr. plays a role in being mentioned in the film as, you know, being the the catalyst for this curse being a thing in the family. And he, he mentions that as, as soon as Fritz changed his name to Von Eric, like they adopted the curse. Uh, and I don't know that that's something that is kind of disputed. If that was really something that Kevin feared his whole life, but they use that as a plot point. I mean, there's an interview for sure. Um, in the early or I guess mid nineties after Carrie dies where Kevin's talking about it and kind of brings up the curse organically in an interview where he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm not one for like superstition or whatever, but a lot of people, you know, think that we're cursed. And so he like casually brought it up, but, um, circling back to the conversation he has with Pam, kind of like a fun sidebar here. Do you guys think at what point does Kevin Von Erich smarten up his wife, girlfriend, fiance? Like, when do you guys think that happens here in this would have been the mid 80s? So in the movie, he basically is doing it in the diner scene, right? Which I don't think would have happened. No, I feel like it probably didn't happen for at least a year or two. Like, do you think they're married and he hasn't, like, fully said, like, yeah, it's predetermined? No, I think by the time they get married, he tells her. But, and, and it's hard to tell with the movie where the um, where the timeline is, right? Because everything is very condensed in the movie. So it's hard to get a gauge of when they meet to when they're dating to when they actually get married. Um, I'd imagine it was probably a year in. I think that's a, an important thing that, and I might be completely misunderstanding the, the writer and director's intention here, but it does feel like Pam is sort of the outsider, non-wrestling person. Obviously she is in the movie, but it's also for non-wrestling people watching the film. She already knows it's predetermined before Kevin says anything. We don't see him smarten her up, which surely was a thing that happened back then because people forget that in the fucking 80s people didn't know that that wasn't common knowledge but if you go into watching this movie as an outsider you're gonna know that the business isn't isn't quote-unquote real and so she's sort of the that character of let's go ahead and present this and get it squared away so we can move on with the rest of the film um, 
So I don't I don't mind the way that they handled that here because it's not super relevant. I don't think. No, it's not a big deal, but I just don't think that. A, I mean, even if she suspected it was a work that she would have cavalierly like said something like that. Like, I don't think it was as commonplace at that time to be like, oh, yeah, it's all fake. Yeah. Yeah. I, I highly like, doubt I, I think a lot of the knew. fans coming to the sportatorium thought that shit was real. If not most I, of them. I would imagine because I feel like that's why the Von Erichs would have been so damn famous. Part of. <laughs> I don't know how the Von Erichs work if you know wrestling's predetermined exactly yeah that's all i was trying to say yeah no back in the day but at that point people thought that shit was real so so uh kevin fights uh, harley race for uh a potential number one contendership at the title uh he kind of gets beaten up pretty badly in it and you, we see a scene where fritz is like you got to be fucking tougher than that basically and he's like dude i couldn't like move and it, it's a whole thing. He's like out of breath after the match and can't cut a promo. And David steps in. And now suddenly, like, we kind of get this hint that David might be the favorite. Um, one thing I want to touch on here, I felt like the portrayal of Harley Race was pretty damn convincing. I thought that looked pretty much like him. In fact, it looked a lot like him for that time period. And the the way that they they do this, there's two major times that they do this in the film. It's once with Harley Race and then again with Ric Flair where they kind of have, they show them cutting a promo uh, that I know the Ric Flair one mimics a real promo. I don't know the Harley Race one, but I imagine that one is too. I I really like the way that they did that. And Harley Race's was very convincing. Uh, We'll get to the Ric Flair one later. I know we all have shit to say about that, but Harley Race here was really great. Um, This is where Carrie gets... Uh, popped into the story the 1980 summer olympics are boycotted so he comes home and uh fritz later on into the film says like hey i want you to get involved in the wrestling business and carries immediately on board so now we have all three brothers are are wrestling here at this point and they're doing six-man tags against the fabulous freebirds another like you don't really see the freebirds that well but man, what a convincing looking set of guys there. <laughs> they looked a lot like the Freebirds. Something else that's cool in this scene is um, so they come out to rush, right? To like set up the scene. And they really glossed over that. But this was the cutting, cutting edge of like guys coming out with rock and roll music or music of any kind. So I thought that was, it was nice that they got it in the movie, but obviously they didn't have time to explain. This is why uh, Carrie's the modern day warrior and the, you know, it all makes sense together, but whatever. Yeah. So uh, during this time, David overtakes Kevin basically as Fritz's fave. So he volunteers David to wrestle Ric Flair. Um, this scene is kind of intense. There's a lot of different parts here but we're sort of setting up like the tension and the the way that fritz handled things do we know if do we know if david was actually supposed to face rick flair or like i felt like that was a thing of convenience i don't know if the texas stadium show was even on the radar when david died 
That is definitely going to be a Matt. You're the historian here. I, I don't know for sure if that was truly what was going on there. And I get it if they did it out of convenience. It just it was kind of weird that he's like, here's the plan for the next 18 months. It's like, eh, I don't know if they were really doing that, but okay. So Kevin and Pam get married. Uh, we have a scene at the wedding where David is throwing up in the bathroom and he's throwing up blood. He has a talk with Kevin and Kevin says like, I don't want you to go to Japan. I don't think you should. It's sort of played up as like, he's kind of joking because he knows there's no fucking way Kevin's not going to go or David's not going to go to Japan. But there is a serious undertone there. And of course, this is where things kind of get uh, rough. The rest of the movie gets pretty rough. Um, we have a scene where Kevin comes home and Fritz is there and lets him know that, that David passed away in Japan. Uh, that his intestines like ruptured. So then we have just a scene with um, the... The funeral, we kind of touch on that. There's a lot kind of going on here. It's all pretty sad. Um, then there's a very important scene where it's decided who is going to take David's place fighting Ric Flair for the title, presumably winning the title as well. And it is decided by a coin toss and it's carry. I don't know that that's a real thing that happened or not. Yeah. I would imagine Carrie would have always been the right choice for it, but it's, it's integral so. to, to the story that they're going to tell with Carrie here in the film, at least that the coin is important. It, it's just weird that the movie, you know, like I said earlier, the movie downplays Carrie's success. Um, the whole time, right? Like mm -hmm. other than the fact that he fights Flair and wins the belt, it, it constantly just downplays his successes because at this point, Carrie was the obvious choice to replace David. I, I don't, I can't imagine that a conversation took place where Fritz flipped the coin and was like, okay, here we go. Or that Fritz would even get to decide who the NWA <laughs> is going to put the belt on, you know? Right. That was not his choice. So I will say, the movie does downplay Carrie's success, but I think that it's not necessarily downplaying the success. It's downplaying the wrestling business as a whole at this point in the film. For up until David passes away, it's a lot of. Um, there's still definitely intensity, a lot of rough scenes, a lot of showing kind of Fritz's emotional abuse. However, a lot of the wrestling is played up showing a lot of success. It's very fun. There's a lot of wrestling at the front half of this film. But once we get to this point, the wrestling takes a back seat, and I feel like it's a symbolic thing. So in real life, when Kerry wins the title, it's a very big moment in Texas Stadium. The whole family's like in the ring. Everybody's yeah. cheering. But the way that they portray it in the film is Mike is sitting on the stairs, kind of despondent, barely watching. The mom is... is barely paying attention, very disinterested. And when he wins, there's no really reaction from the mom. And then Mike isn't even in the room anymore. And I think the whole point of that is to, to point out the like 
the family is starting to be fractured at this point, and the wrestling is really starting to take a back seat. And so yeah, I don't know that it's, it's we're downplaying the, the, Carrie's success as much as it is we're downplaying the importance of the wrestling business. At well, this they're point. definitely glossing over it because this is the absolute yeah, yeah. peak of their business at this mm-hmm. time. And it's like, oh, yeah, like the to me, this is one of the biggest misses in the movie is the Texas Stadium uh, s- situation, right? They could have done Flair getting helicoptered in like I feel like th- that moment shows how big wrestling was at that time on a regional level and they just didn't capture it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't at the same time, I don't mind how they did this because I think it was important to show like Fritz finally gets the thing that he always wanted and look at the state the family's in because of it. And I think that it was if you if you really sell the pageantry of the Texas Stadium moment, it plays too much into what you've been setting up to this point, which is what Fritz is putting this fucking family through to get this title. And it's like it's a sort of a double. But the reality sword. is at that point. Yeah, they he really hadn't put them through much, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like for the expedience of storytelling, they're crafting the narrative that way. But David's passing was a tragedy. But outside of that, this was really high times for the rest of the crew who was in the business. Yeah. And really where things start to come off the rails is when they bring in uh, MJF's character who we don't even I guess that must have been cut from the movie, but they gloss right mm-hmm. past that, bringing in their cousin from another territory who that's sort of the beginning of the end for the, their business. Yeah, they do show the scene of it, but it's not pointed out that that's Lance and you barely see that it's MJF. It's the part where there's the tag match where it's Kevin and he's like kind of despondent and he's standing on the corner and he's just like, what the fuck is this? That's that. That's that happening. So this is a good time to talk about Ric Flair because he's not in the rest of the movie. I he had the character had his moments. I just there's nothing wrong with the actor. The actor did the best that he could. I don't know how, who you get to portray Ric Flair here. Alex said no, MJF, Andrew, but then of course you're being way too easy on the guy. He didn't do the best he could do. He could have done Ric Flair's accent. You're an actor. Talk like the guy you're trying to impersonate. Yeah. What do you mean? I, first, he's off, a professional. So like, he had like visible stubble, which Ric Flair has never had, which is very odd. Um, I feel like even the the hair they they the hair is slightly off. Like I can, you could have gotten MJF to Rick play Ric Flair. He would have done a million times better. It looked like a wrestling fan in a Halloween costume. Yes. Which is so bizarre because every single other, like Bruiser Brody was amazing. Just like Bruiser Brody, the Freebirds, you don't get a great look at them, but they look, I mean, you, I didn't, they don't even really say the Freebirds in the film. I think maybe you hear it passively if you're paying attention, but as soon as they were on screen, I was like, Oh, this is a fucking Freebirds. Like you can tell immediately every, everybody really embodies. I know that Carrie, for example, is one that stands out because Jeremy Allen White just didn't get big enough for this film. But facial structure wise, I mean, I'm looking at them side by side on this wiki. 
He looks just like well, him. And like, appearance is one thing, but the actors can't really control that. What they can't control is the way they the talk. spirit. And yeah. This guy. He, he has his moments in the promo. Yeah, I'll be few, honest. I'm surprised they didn't cut him out of the out. movie. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm surprised they didn't like in post-production refilm that with somebody else. I think it's because if you, you're not a wrestling business dude, you wouldn't know. Everybody knows Ric Flair. Everyone knows Ric Flair. I think, but here's the thing. I I have some friends that seen Ric Flair. They know who Ric Flair is. If I go show them that movie, they'll think it's a good portrayal because they haven't seen enough Ric Flair to really for it to sink in. I, 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 I yeah, get but the guys, guys making saying. the movie obviously know what Ric Flair looks and sounds like because they got <laughs> I, every single I, other person, right? I get that. I just, I, it's very difficult to cut out some of the stuff. I just don't know why you're defending this guy in any way. It was terrible. It I was didn't really like it. I'm not saying I liked it, but I can, I recognize that a part of my frustration with it is how much I love Ric Flair and how much I know about Ric Flair and the average person that's going to see this movie might not have that knowledge base. Jeremy, you have to keep in mind, the three of us have a bigger knowledge base about wrestling and Ric Flair than probably half of all wrestling fans. And I feel like that's modest. Probably more than 70 to 80% of all wrestling fans. We're, we're probably, we're probably in like a, a pretty high percentile of like knowledge base when it comes to wrestling fans. So that's really only going to stand out and piss us off. Other people so, are probably not going to care that much. <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a bombshell. Uh, feel free to cut me off and delete me from the podcast. I didn't. He, he wasn't great as Flair. However, there were moments where he was matching Flair's vocal patterns, and I could tell why the filmmakers chose that guy yeah when specifically when he's in the locker room after the match and like let's go grab a beer i'll be at the hall like that kind of stuff i thought played well i felt like the promo because i've seen that promo so many times looked really bad (sighs) the parts of it were bad but parts of it as i'm sitting there watching it i'm thinking oh my god this is so bad there were parts of it where he would say th- words and the way he would say it and the intonation yeah, his- he had, it came. Uh, I can tell where the spirit of flair was he had there. Potential. Yeah. I think if he, if the guy maybe had a vocal coach, he just didn't with have a little a, bit. He didn't have the accent, right? He had like a Cajun accent. It was weird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest part is the accent wasn't there, but the, the way he said certain words, I can tell why they went with him. And uh, granted, also, we haven't seen. We don't, we don't know, know how many other what actors the fucking, they went yeah. through. Right? We don't know what that casting. They could have just had a. Uh, like, yeah, okay. Alex, Alex I mean, I, I don't MJF, know what else. But they got him to do one of the Von Erichs. I, d- I don't know what know else you were to like. Him. Yeah, I don't know what else to add to this other than I didn't feel like the flare scenes were very good. And I think that's probably part of why we didn't get much of Texas Stadium, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I was, Alec and I were kind of laughing at times with the Flair stuff. You're we like, Jesus Christ, this is barely Ric Flair. Um, but he, I, I like to think about the positives and I do think that there's moments I've seen that promo. I know that promo, not super well, but well enough that like there were moments where I was like, fuck that guy's spot on. But then the rest of it, I was like, Jesus Christ, you couldn't go from spot on to not even close 
in a more like it was just so up and down throughout the that scene. Um, so we'll move on from that. Uh, after winning the title, we kind of condense the timeline here. Carrie loses his foot in a motorcycle accident the same night. Obviously, that's not how that happened. Whatever storytelling purposes, we get to that point. Two years later, mm-hmm. two but it's like years. what else? What happens in those two years to portray at that point? I, you could have had a they short have scene their where you hottest show... period in the business. This is what I was saying earlier. They have their hottest year in in the business. Immediately I, following, I, that I understand show. that, and I think that that's where uh, Matt and I discussed this earlier. Is that if you were really going to do this movie very, very true to form, it almost need needed to be, to be like a series, yes, because it would have given you the opportunity to to have episodes where the tone shifts. At this point, as soon as David dies, the tone needed to shift to where it was for the rest of the film. You couldn't go back to hot period partying, everybody's having fun again. We're on the downward spiral and you just have to stay there. So we really just couldn't go backwards at that point in terms of tone. So I understand why they did it this way. Um, I think the reveal of Carrie not having a foot was pretty good. If you didn't know that fact, that would have been like, oh, fuck. Like I saw it coming and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like I already could tell by the cinematography how interesting so that was going to turn I out. I thought it's... There's two stories with his foot. There's the Von Erich official story, and then there's the what everyone thinks is the actual story, which is he got hurt in the motorcycle accident. His foot was all fucked up. Then he got really high on painkillers, forgot his foot was fucked up, and then proceeded to start walking around, and that's why he had to get it amputated. And I thought we were about to see that in that scene. It's like he wakes up and just starts moving about. But no surprise, they glossed over that. And, you know, whatever. I get it. Um, so kind of downplays the idea of a curse, right? If the guy just got loaded up on drugs and then. <laughs> so um, this is where Kevin starts training Mike. I really liked the scene where Mike is training that felt ex- I I had that exact same experience learning almost the exact same like hold patterns the the wrist lock and then into the headlock um when I trained for a brief period of time I had that exact same experience in terms of like going through that and then um the trainer stepping in and showing me the difference between like hey this is me being stiff and this is the difference like showing me the differences from it that was such an accurate portrayal of what that looks like. And I thought that it was really cool. really stood out to me. Um, on top of that, we also have uh, little details in here that happen. Kevin names his firstborn son uh, Atkinson instead of Von Eric because of the curse. Um, then he has a match with Flair where he gets himself disqualified because he holds the iron claw for too long. Uh, this does happen pretty much beat for beat in real life. I don't know though, if that was a work or a shoot, they, they portray this as a shoot. I doubt that that's the case. Um, then no, it was definitely have a, a really great scene here. Yeah, probably. So one of my favorite scenes in the movie comes up here as we see Carrie, uh, trying to work with having a prostat- prosthetic foot, um, he, he tries to run and he just can't even walk. My, my favorite scene in the movie is when he tries to start training with Kevin and they start fighting in the ring. 
one of the best scenes in the film by far. The cinematography of it, the 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 just the long take of it, we're just like it's like you're just standing on the outside of the ring watching them, and the scene gets very intense. So uh, then we move into Mike hurting his shoulder, and then going into a coma. <laughs> um, comes out of the coma. I do feel like so they do portray his him coming out with some brain damage. I feel like almost to an unfair degree the amount of brain damage they give him because I've seen that interview and he's not that despondent in in the interview. Uh, I disagree. I actually saw a clip of that um, yesterday because I was watching the dark side of the ring about the Von Erics and they play clips of it. And he's very much gone. Like they're asking him questions and he's just, he's gone. But uh, uh, so a thing that I, I disliked about this, and I, I get that it was probably from a storytelling perspective, the way that it happens is, he obviously showed signs of, of brain damage early on and, and despondence. Even even in that interview, I'm not going to lie, he, he's certainly a little fucked up in that interview. I, I think they overplayed it. But he, he gets back to mentally to acting like himself for the most part, at least publicly, and they don't show that at all. I mean, he gets back in the ring in real life. Yeah, I mean, we're to the point now where they're taking a lot of liberties to get the timing down right. I mean, the Carrie loses his foot the same night he wins the title. So I feel like nitpicking uh, his road to recovery is kind of, you know what I mean? It's like if they're going to cut anything, I think they can cut his bounce back. That's cool. fair. Um, so we uh, get into the next scene where Mike uh, commits suicide. This is where, I mean, if you're not already just like, fuck this, re this one really sucks. This is like where you feel like you're getting pretty beaten over the head at this point in the film. Um, <laughs> so the, there's now there's a lot more uh, intensity between Kevin and uh, Fritz at this point in the, in the film and and the wiki kind of glossed over it. So I didn't even bring it up, but there's a part after, I believe it's after David passes away that Kevin refuses to go home to Pam and they basically separate for a period of time here. And um, after what happens to Mike, Kevin's like, I just need to step away from the business and or at least step away from wrestling specifically and be with my family and th this is an important point in the film it's it's you know kevin talks about it as being the, a big difference maker in his mental health at this point in his life so he inherits the business from his father and we fast forward quite a while to carrie's now in the wwf uh, Kevin is running his father's promotion and he's considering selling it. And then we get to Christmas. Carrie gives Fritz a gun. They get into a fight. 
Uh, but then we still see Kevin and, and Carrie hanging out and being being friends here. And then Kevin gets a call at night from Carrie, who is clearly like at at his end. And then we get the the scene where Carrie commits suicide. This both does and doesn't play fast and loose with the facts. There's oh, some things about it that's right. Loose with the facts. Well, well there's so. some things that's right. So so Kevin tries to warn Fritz, who's doing mm. shit in like yard work, basically, and ignores him. And so Fritz doesn't get the warning, basically. Just the timing is off. The The part that's wrong here is Kevin even being there. And then everything that subsequently happens after that with Kevin is, is well, all Kevin fabricated. Kevin was actually there moments before the suicide happens. But Fritz is the one who finds him. But Kevin initially finds Carrie and, like, He's openly talking about killing himself and Kevin's convinces him basically gets Carrie to say, like, all right, I'm not going to hurt myself. And then Kevin goes, I thought that I that was... goes back to the house, warns Fritz. No, that's Chris. Chris is the yeah, one I thought that you're, you're talking about Chris. in real life that he goes and talks to and he's like, hey, man, you don't want to do that. And he leaves to go tell Fritz, hey, we got to go take care of Chris. And Fritz is like, oh, fuck, no, we got to go. You got to go save your brother. And then he gets back to Chris just after he he shoots himself. You're you're getting the two of them. Oh, mixed yeah, because Chris isn't in the movie. Right. Um, so okay. but one thing that I wanted to point out was the timeline. I mean, it gets timelines all over the place, but like they show him giving Fritz the gun on Christmas. That's false. He gives him that gun on Father's Day months and months before. Uh, the suicide actually happens. And they don't say it, it, it's probably there in the scene. It's the same gun, right? They don't. Yeah. It, spend enough time making it's that implied. clear. It's, yeah. I mean, they took the time to show you a gun in a movie where they cut out one of their entire like family members. So yeah, yeah that's you know. true. So uh, after, this happens. Kevin brings Carrie into the the dining room and places him on the table. And we have a scene where Carrie is in the after. I don't know if this is necessarily in the afterlife, because the way that I interpreted this is Kevin's Kevin reads the note and then it imagines this moment and like cries about all of his brothers now being together. So. I I think that this is supposed to be Kevin imagining it. I don't think that it's actually a, it's supposed to be like, oh, this is Carrie in the afterlife. I don't I don't think it's that nonsensical. I, no, I, I mean, think maybe. it is. I think it is. I don't believe it's Kevin imagining it I, because we don't see Kevin. It's just the way the that it's, it's cut when when it cuts back, you're looking directly at Kevin like sitting there like taking in like he's imagining this like picturing it and and crying about it because right before that you see the note as well so it's almost like he read the note and now we're seeing him imagining this happening i guess it doesn't really matter what the 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 symbolism here here is but when carrie's on the boat he places down the coin which 
for his story is sort of a is just sort of a symbol for like that was the you know the catalyst for the path that he ends up on is the coin flip so he places the coin down and puts that behind him and, and goes to be with his brothers and it, it very tough scene to watch but also very really beautiful um, yeah this was the scene where i really started to uh started blubbering a little bit in the uh the movie theater this one was the one that was i think the hardest for me to get through my my chest hurt at this point the thing that got me is is the very very end and we can kind of we'll get to that pretty quick here so uh Kevin sells the company at this point to Jerry Jarrett so that he can just focus on being with his family again. Uh, we get sort of the implication that um, the mom is going to divorce Fritz, which is what happens. They don't quite say it, but it's it's fairly implied here. Uh, Pam's pregnant again, and then we have the the final scene, which is Kevin out with his kids, and he talks to them, and is like. He's saying something that this is a real thing that uh, people who know Kevin Von Erich know that he's le- legitimately said this. So this is a real line that was taken from somebody who knows him. About There's an interview he, in um, Dark Side of the Ring. He says this exact quote. Well, yeah, no, they, not don't, exact they don't quote because they don't have the quote he here. But mentions, he yeah, go ahead. Read the quote. They, well, they don't they don't have the quote here. So if you actually okay. know it. So. I don't know the exact word for word, but I do know that in the real quote, he says, I had four brothers and now I'm not even a brother. They obviously can't say that in the movie because <laughs> they, they didn't, didn't have the right four. number of brothers. So, um, yeah. so, so he, he says something along those lines and the kids are like, well, we'll be your brothers. And that, that was the part where like I was, I was crying in the theater. Oh yeah, I, I Jesus fucking Christ. I the tears the, continued from that point. I it was I was concerned. I was in a pretty full theater and I was like I was like oh the lights are about to come up and I'm like oh my god like it's obvious I've been crying. So and, there's uh, a, a fun thought that I have with this film it is it comes down to those two kids. It's like all of us have been on this journey now for two hours. And those kids are just there playing football. And so we're feeling the weight with Kevin. And those kids are so innocent. Like they have not experienced what the rest of us all just went through. And so the way that they play the scene is so contrasting to the intensity that we're all feeling and that that Zac Efron in Kevin is like putting out there. And I felt like that would just made the scene work so well. I mean, the 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 ch- child actors usually suck. These kids were phenomenal in this scene. The way that they handled the <laughs> the script here and the way that they presented it as very innocent and like, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I've felt it. It was a good scene. Uh, yeah. I've got a couple final thoughts I'd like to get out there. Mm-hmm. I, I think we've nitpicked the movie enough, but I think two other things that I want to bring up. One, I feel like they really downplayed the drug use, which is a very critical. And we talked about that. They kind of minimize Carrie's story altogether. But the drug use is a very important cog in the 
you know, 80s Dallas wrestling scene and in the Von Erichs lives. And then they also really downplay uh, Kevin Von Erichs, like paranoia and kind of the celebrity that the Von Erichs have and how it affected their personal lives. That's not really in the movie at all outside of like he signs a couple autographs, but um, they they're like they're fucked up, not just from like Fritz, but also from being like famous at 20 years old. Yeah, it, one thing I wanted to talk about, because honestly, I don't know when I'll talk about it again. Um, I worked with a woman years ago who uh, one night we were, were working and she's like, oh, did I ever tell you about the Von Erics? And I'm like, what? And she was like, I was neighbors with Kevin Von Erich. His kids used to play with my kids. I was like, oh, and she's like, he was the nicest guy, but he was so paranoid uh he they used to keep the blinds drawn all the time like it what is always dark in there and didn't want to be able to be seen from outside or whatever and then she said you know they they had a rule of do not call the house after sunset if it's dark out if it's nighttime do not call because it triggers him um And I, I won't say that I didn't believe her, but I was just like, okay, like it sounded like that was legit, right? Years and years later, I watched Dark Side of the Ring and Kevin confirms the thing about the phone. And I was like, oh shit. Completely makes sense. If you go through even like one traumatic experience and have like a minor amount of PTSD from it, I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what it was like for him the amount of tragedy that that family had, like completely reasonable, to be honest. Uh, my my closing thoughts, I fucking love this movie. But my closing thought on it is after the movie, it really put into perspective how insane it was that Matt and I were front row like two weeks prior to me seeing this film to see the Von Erics like wrestle the kids and then also see Kevin do the Iron Claw. Um. That was really awesome. Also, we haven't talked about this, but Matt and I went to AEW Winter is Coming. On Rampage, I'm literally on the broadcast when Orange Cassidy comes out. They fucking cut to me with the main camera. And then like two or three minutes later, the Von Erichs come out. So really, mm-hmm. really cool. And uh, I wish that this movie had come out prior to um, us going to that. I, I think it would have been really awesome to have gotten to see this before that because it, it added a lot of weight to how significant that did moment you never was watch me. the dark side of the ring or no i did what was your experience but i mean it's been a long time ago story. so i i've always known about the von eric family uh just when you watch wrestling from a very young age you just hear about especially one of the most famous wrestling families you hear about everything uh, I was aware when they got put into the Hall of Fame who they were. I knew about the story prior to the Dark Side of the Ring episode, and I pretty much knew the whole story prior to that at that point. Um, so the Dark Side of the Ring episode was something I was excited about because I kind of already knew what to expect, and I was interested in hearing like the details and and the seeing it in a more high production value as opposed to like a YouTube video of some fucking dude breaking it down for me. Um but I think, you know, it's been a long time since I had seen that episode. I feel like that was a couple of years ago that that came out. 
or maybe even longer than that. So just seeing the the story in this manner in a much more intense fashion. I mean, movies movies obviously dramatize things to a point where you can really sympathize with everybody involved in a way that a documentary maybe doesn't do. So I just felt like it it gave me so much more perspective than I that I didn't have previously. Something Despite the I, fact that there's a lot of things that are kind of inaccurate. Something I really liked about the movie, um, you know, so, you know, we're all in the Dallas area um, and kind of like the neighborhoods that they're driving through and stuff look very familiar, right? It's like this is very much how the area around us look like anything that was built in the 70s and 80s around here. That's what it looks like. Like that cul-de-sac, I've seen a million cul-de-sacs like that. Um, Them talking about UT Dallas and the the highways and even the Dallas skyline that they CGI'd some stuff out or whatever. It it was just kind of cool seeing where we live be the focal point of a movie or the backdrop of a movie. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Alec, I remember in the... When we were in... When we were watching the movie... When Mike is at band practice, yeah, they show that's that Alec, Alec was like, holy fuck, that could be literally any neighborhood, any old neighborhood in the suburbs around here. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I've been in that exact same spot. Like, wherever that was filmed, I bet I've been there. <laughs> well, especially, you know, when I was looking to buy a house uh, a year ago, and I'm looking in some of these Dallas suburbs neighborhoods, and I'm looking at houses that were built in the 80s and 90s. And some older ones, too. And so I toured so many houses that look just like mm. whatever. It, it was a what, cool little subplot. What's wild, though, is they filmed this in Baton Rouge. <laughs> like, I don't think anything was actually filmed in Texas. But, I mean, they captured the look so well. Um, real quick, my final thoughts. Look, I know we nit- nitpicked the movie. That's what we do here when we're talking about movies. I think we all agree. The movie was phenomenal. It was great. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of chatter online that this is going to be one of those award movies, you know, and I really hope it wins as many awards as it can. I think it was a great movie. It, like I said earlier, it respected the material very well, it respected the people. Um, so it deserves all the accolades. In the pantheon its of way. wrestling movies, Matt, is it mm-hmm. better than The Wrestler, which I think is probably the best wrestling movie to this point? So, because that won a bunch of awards. It's hard to say. So, here's the deal The Wrestler, I could watch again more frequently than this one. The Wrestler is not as hard to get through because it's fictional, um, even though the ending is up in the air, dies or whatever. Um, but this one is just hard to get through. Like, so as much as I enjoyed it and I know I'll watch it again, it's not the kind of movie that I'm going to watch over and over again because it's just so heavy and so emotional. Um, so I, I think I would give the edge to the wrestler just cause it's more rewatchable, but that doesn't, uh, it's still an amazing, amazing movie. We should quickly point out. There's been a lot of chatter um, with the success of this movie that they might do a Guerrero's movie, um, which would be a pretty cool 
I think the Von Erich story is the best for a movie setting. Like in, in wrestling history, it's that's the story you should tell. However, they're also a lot less famous than the Guerreros. So I, I, I'm interested to see what the commercial success would be for a Guerreros movie. But I just I I would I have no issue with this sparking an interest in doing some dramatic films about wrestling that just immediately made me think like, let's never let's make sure we stay away from the Benoit situation. Let's not turn that into a film. I don't, I don't ever want to see that. And I worry that that could be a thing that somebody, I don't think anybody is thinking that. I don't know, dude, Mickey mouse went into the public domain and they immediately made a horror movie. I just don't like the idea that that could be on the menu now. We'll be dead before the Chris Benoit stuff gets public domain, so we'll be it'll be okay. I don't mean uh, that, yeah, sure. Y- you know what story I would like to see dram- dramatized is the territories, the ending of the territories going into McMahon buying everything. I- I'd like to see that maybe from the perspective of a pick a specific territory. Yeah, I, I think it's the counterpoint to this movie, Matt, right? It's like the stuff that's going on that they didn't show is would yeah. be interesting to see. Yeah. I would argue that a Vince McMahon biopic would be instead of doing like a his whole life kind of thing would center around that time period mm-hmm. where he where he basically from him taking over his dad's company to WrestleMania one would be what I would think you would Something cover. like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's uh, we've been we've been at this for a while, so let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, do we have any parting words before we. Oh, shit. I got to do the. the yeah, you got to do our plugs. Yeah, all right. Uh, make sure you follow us and uh, like our stuff on Facebook, Twitter, Such Good Shit Pod. Email us, Such Good Shit Pal at gmail.com. Um, and then rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts. With that said, do we have any parting words? Um, if you have, if you have not seen this movie and you just listen to this, you're a fucking idiot. But go fucking <laughs> watch this movie. It's so good. It is absolutely worth your time. I'm I'm so glad that we get to have this because we just don't get to see wrestling portrayed in this way. Like an A24 Lionsgate film with Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen White, you know, talking about the business that we all grew up with is really, really cool. Like that we I don't want that to be lost on us at any point that it's kind of crazy that they're doing this, that this got covered in a film.